Welcome everyone, this is Jorge Fascinetti and you are listening to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. Today I'm here with Dr. Louis Blevin, who, as you know, is a Pituitary World News co-founder, and we are delighted to welcome a very special guest to talk about pituitary patients and COVID-19, a subject that is on everyone's mind these days, to say the least. So hello, Dr. Blevins. Why don't you tell us a little bit about today, more about today's subject and introduce our guest? Good afternoon, Jorge. It's uh, my pleasure to uh, do another podcast with you live. Um, as you alluded to, we're going to talk about COVID-19 today. And I've been thinking a lot about this uh, illness since we first did a podcast at the outset of the uh, pandemic. And at that time, we had hoped, maybe wishfully so, uh, or expected or, or maybe even anticipated that this virus may no longer be with us after the turn in the seasons. And I, I certainly think that a lot of people felt that when summer came, the virus would be gone. Uh, but that's not the case. And, you know, we now have this tremendous surge, uh, what they're calling a post-Thanksgiving surge, where at the current time we have over 100,000 people hospitalized, 200,000 or more infections being reported daily, and two to 3,000 deaths reported daily as well. Uh, one point last week, there were over 5,000 deaths over a period of two days in the United States. I remember back in March and uh, April when China hit 3,000 deaths total uh, through several months of the pandemic, everybody was aghast and awestruck and was hoping that that wouldn't happen in the United States. But here we are having uh, nearly two to uh, 3,000 deaths each day in this country alone. Uh, so things are pretty serious and out of hand. And we've got to do a few things to stem the, the tide uh, I think the vaccines coming up will help, but we still have a, a social responsibility that we need to take on ourselves. The other thing I'll say is that it used to be that you would open the news on whatever social media platform you were looking at and you saw individual personal stories. Uh, and there was a report of this person who had passed away or that person who'd passed away or these people who were infected and it had, a, it had a real face to it. And nowadays it's just statistics and it seems that uh, all we're hearing are the numbers and uh, I agree. And, uh, And I think we need to keep it personal and that way we can all maybe take it more seriously and recognize this can, this can affect any of us doing practically anything, even when we think we're taking measures to protect ourselves and to protect others. I wanna welcome Kilman Graf uh, to the podcast today. She's a patient I first encountered over a year ago uh, and uh, she had a recent experience with COVID-19 and we wanna share that experience and talk with her today. So Kilman, welcome. Thank you. It's really great to be here. So we really appreciate your spending your time with us today. Thank you. So just as a uh, prelude for everyone who's out there listening, you have partial hypopituitarism. You're missing several pituitary hormones and are on replacement therapy. And the cause of your hypopituitarism was head trauma. Uh, and as I recall, we had you fairly well treated. Uh, and then you... Uh, uh, over probably about four to six weeks ago, uh, contracted COVID-19. Correct. And yes. clearly you're doing well now, uh, maybe not fully recovered. We'll talk more about that uh, 
in a little bit. Uh, but I want you to uh, just go through and tell us the the precautions you had taken and the approach you had taken to protect yourself over time uh, first. And then after that, tell us about what you call your one mistake that led to you becoming infected. Well, um, I am a teacher. And so back in March, when we went on spring break, um, my district decided to go um, and work from home and not return back to the classroom. Um, and at that time, I also made a personal decision to try to stay away from, you know, as many public spaces as possible. Um, that being said, I did not go to a restaurant. I did not go on vacation. I didn't go to a concert. And there were many people, you know, uh, choosing to live life as they normally would, but I chose not to. Um, and that went on until I made my one mistake. Um, so before, before you get to that mistake, I presume you went to the grocery store and things of that nature. And what sort of personal protections did you do? Did you wear a mask? Did you use sanitizers? Uh, anything else that you might have done that you'd care to share with us? Um, I wore a mask, um, both inside if I had to go to the grocery store and also outside, if, even if I was getting gas at the gas station, um, mm -hmm. just pumping my car. Um, but I actually tried to limit my exposure to try to do curbside pickup groceries um, and order um, online. Um, and for the most part, I really tried my best to stay away from other people because I actually was very worried about my um, health condition with having hypopituitarism. So you were concerned and took all those measures. Were, were you... Um... Were you fearful at, at the first and did that fear change over time? Did you become more complacent? Um, can you describe what happened over time? Uh, or have you always been vigilant even through this next school year? I definitely think I was more fearful at first because um, we didn't know as much um, about it. Um, I don't think I ever became complacent. I think that... Um, um, I definitely think I was more fearful um, at first because we didn't know as much about it, but I did not become more uh, complacent. Um, I kept uh, with my normal routine of things of being socially distanced, using hand sanitizer, trying to stay away from people. Um, my social gatherings um, really were conduced down to just my immediate family. Um, being my mom, my dad, and my brothers, um, because I'm, I'm not married. So that's just it. That was my social, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, my socialization right there. And um, when I went back to school, our students, I teach high school. So um, our students were still in distance learning. Um, they still are actually today. Um, and I'm also a coach, 
but we have very strict protocols about bringing our athletes back into the building. Everybody has to wear a mask. Everybody's temperatures are taken um, at the door. They have to, we have to ask them um, a health screening, health screening questions. Um, and once they um, are brought into the building, everybody has to be six feet apart. Um, I have to be wearing a mask at all times. They can take their masks off when they are exercising only. Um, and then if they go to the bathroom or to get a drink of water, their masks have to go right back on. Um, and then they have to leave as soon as practice is over. And then the rooms have to be sanitized in a certain way. Um, and we have to go through all those protocols every single you're, time. You're certainly no stranger to vigilance and, uh, <laughs> and uh, taking measures in regards to uh, prevention of COVID-19 acquisition or transmission. But as the story goes, your friend bought a house. Is that yes. true? Tell us yes. about it. So she had um, bought a house and it was sort of her um, first kind of get together. Um, and she was very excited about it. And a lot of, you know, our mutual friends were coming together. Um, it was actually kind of her, it was a Halloween party and it was kind of like her first kind of like everybody come together, you know, you know, gathering. Um, it was um, a Friday night. So I actually had a game with um, my team and I didn't get there till over half of the people had already left. Um, and when I got there, I was obviously wearing a mask. Um, I will say um, that we were not um, social distancing the way that we should have. But for the most part, we were being safe. I chose- You wore a mask the whole time you're indoors, right? Yes, yes. We took them off if we went outside. Um, but every time we were inside, we put them back on. Um, I chose not to eat any of the food that was sitting out that had been sitting out. Um, you know, I didn't know how long it was out, probably a few hours. And I didn't know if people were double dipping the chips or, you know, and that concerned me. Did you um, see anyone who was sick? Was anyone coughing or sneezing? No. And look or seem ill? No. Okay. Not one person there. Um, and so I would say, Within 48 hours of leaving this event, um, I knew something was wrong. I didn't know that it was COVID, obviously, but I felt sick. And for me, it was like, what's that? In what way were you sick? Tell us what symptoms and signs you were having. Um, for me, it was clear flu-like symptoms or strep symptoms. So. I have had, when I was in the first grade, I had a tonsillectomy. And since then, I have had one sore throat, and that's when I had strep. And so when I got a sore throat, and a legit sore throat, I was like, okay, something's up. You know, when I got um, body aches and, and something, you know, I knew something was wrong. Um, and so I went to a clinic and um, I got a rapid test 
and they, at that, that day they tested me for strep, they tested me for the flu and COVID. Um, and when they came back in the room, like the energy was different. I had actually been tested before because I had accidentally um, been exposed um, by my brother, which is a whole other story, but I was good. <laughs> um, but yeah, but the energy was, um, it was completely different. I knew something was up um, and she said that my COVID test was positive. Um, how did you feel upon hearing that news? For about five seconds inside my head, I panicked because I didn't know what it was going to do to me. Um, I did not know, you know, a lot of things went through my head in that five seconds. Like, am I going to end up in the hospital? What, you know, symptoms am I going to have? Am I is it going to attack my heart? Am I going to have neurological problems? Will I be able to breathe, you know? And then I was like, but then again, it could just be the regular, you know, just like general, you know, sense of just kind of like flu-like symptoms, you know? Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go home and ride this out. And I'm a fighter. So like whatever happens, I'm going to, Mm -hmm. I'm going to endure. So I was very lucky that um, it was not a, you know, very severe case. I would say it was not, I wouldn't say it was a super mild case. Um, I would say mild slash moderate because it did drag on like much longer than it should have. <laughs> Tell us about your symptoms and signs and how they got worse and then how you started the recovery. Yeah, so um, when I first got it, it, it kind of fluctuated a little bit. It was, um, you know, I felt a little bit sick, and then I felt better, and then I felt sick again. And then every day was just a new symptom for me. It was, um, you know, I felt like I had pins and needles in my stomach one day, just like poking my stomach. And then um, the next day I had a migraine and then I'd have body aches and then um, I thought I was doing better and then I actually thought I about two weeks into it I thought I was doing fine um, I went outside to rake my leaves and um, that evening I relapsed so bad it came back like it was the first day again and I have actually never had a migraine in my life until that day. Um, I thought I had had migraines, but this, nothing compared to this. This was, I was like, could not look at a light. I was like seeing auras, um, every little sound. I was, I actually heard like ringing in my ears and then every little sound was just, I mean, it was, it was like nothing I can explain um, with words with this migraine that I had. I actually thought something was wrong. I was like, am I having like an aneurysm? Like what is, you know, what is uh, wrong with me? Uh, but the next day it was, you know, it had gone away. Um, and I still felt sick, but at least the headache was, was uh, subsided. 
Um, over what period of time were you having fevers during this illness? I actually never had a fever. Um, well, a fever, I guess, when it would, I guess, for me medical standards, um, my body temperature normally is about 96. And so whenever my body temperature gets up to like 98, um, I actually personally feel like I have a fever. Yeah, that's fever for you, right? Yeah. So um, I was taking my temperature regularly um, and it was around 98, you know? And so I felt warm and I felt chilled, but, you know, if I were to go to the doctor, they would tell me I didn't have a fever, but my regular body temperature is 96. So. What was recovery like? How, how did that come about? And, and how are you feeling now, literally six weeks after exposure? So the recovery for me obviously was, uh, well, the sore throat, um, you know, went on and off for a little while. Um, and I completely lost my voice for about four weeks. And I mean, even with the recovery, when I was feeling better, I did not have a voice for a little while. Um, and that went on for so long that my mom even asked me like, well, you know, like, will you ever get your voice back? Like she was even getting a little bit concerned. Um, but um, my sore throat actually went on for so long that I actually called my primary doctor a couple of times and asked like, can you give me something for this? Because that was something also that um, throughout the recovery, it would, be, it would be completely gone, and then it would come, it would come back, and it would be gone, it would just fluctuate, it would just bounce back and forth, um, and they just told me, like, no, we can't, you just got to wait it out, and anything I would take, anything I could not take, um, ibuprofen, I could not take Tylenol, I could not take Aleve, it would not alleviate any sort of pain. It would not alleviate the sore throat. It would not alleviate the body aches. It would not alleviate the headache. It would not touch it. Like COVID was like laughing in the face of these over the counter, you know, um, pain alleviators. So um, you told me at one point you also lost your sense of smell. Yes, I actually still uh, do not have a sense of smell. Yeah, I can't smell it. Every now and then, like I, I'll get a whiff of something and I get really excited, but then I can't, I still can't smell. I'll start like sniffing the air and be like, oh, I think I smelled that, you know, um, but it's still, it's still not uh, present. So, um, and taste yeah. has been partially affected. Uh... I never lost my sense of taste. Um, yeah. I was lucky, you know, and in that aspect, at least, you know, so. So here, six weeks later, you still haven't had a full recovery uh, from the COVID, but you're feeling a lot better, I take it. Yes, I am. And you're working, uh, uh, teaching by Zoom or some other platform? Yes, yes. So I am um, back in my school building um, because our district, uh, we actually do report to our buildings for work, but we are uh, teaching uh, distance learning at this time. So we're teaching uh, by Zoom 
Okay. Yes. And um, have um, have you had a, a follow-up COVID test? Have you turned negative or, or they, have they done any follow-up testing on you? I have not done a follow-up COVID test yet. Um, I feel like because I am still having very mild, and I mean very mild, mild symptoms that I would still be COVID positive at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and our state right now is surging. Um, it's relatively pretty difficult to um, get in for a test without, you know, waiting, you know, a very, very long time um, to get in, you know, so um, I really am apprehensive about having to take another day off work, honestly. <laughs> um, because how I already you isolated and, you know, quarantined yourself and how did you get groceries or whatever it was you're, you, you needed to meet your needs while you were by yourself uh, infected with COVID-19? Um, well, my mom brought me something every single day. She would go to um, Walmart for me um, and bring stuff and leave it at my door. Um, so she lives close, close enough to uh, take care of me and I think she also just wanted to check and make sure I was okay. Um, so she checked on me multiple times a day, actually, you know, at least called or I think she was at my house every day, not in my house, but like at least checked on me from outside the door. Um, so I guess to her, I'm still a little kid. <laughs> yeah, that was probably very reassuring to have, uh, yeah. have her there for you. Yeah, it was, it was. It's a very, um, you know, lonely experience and something that I really, you know, try to emphasize to so many uh, people my age that don't take it seriously is, you know, at the very least, you're gonna have to go through this alone. If you get this, if you get COVID, you're going to have to isolate from absolutely everyone. Every single little pain that you feel, every single, you know, um, new symptom that you get, every, you're going to have all sorts of thoughts go through your head. um, And you have to deal with it completely, you know, by yourself. even if your symptoms are mild or moderate, you know, like mine, you don't get, it's not like the flu or even strep where somebody can come over and take care of you. You have to do this whole thing by yourself. And even worse, if you end up in the hospital, again, you have to go through it completely alone. It is not something to be taken lightly and it's probably going to be longer than you know two weeks for me it was a good four weeks of isolation um and as a matter of fact it's so contagious that my dog got it from me while i was in quarantine um And 
I'm obviously not a veterinarian, but he had, he would not eat. He, I had to have my mom bring him some moist, wet food. Um, and he was, um, coughing a lot. He was congested and he would snore at night and he normally does not do that. I've read that people really have lost their exercise capacity as a result of this infection and that needs to recover as well. Did you at any time, were you fearful when you were in, at home alone, wondering like, if I get sick, is anybody going to be able to help me? Can I call for help? Or how did you deal with that situation that you might need to call for emergency help quickly or have a have, have some assistance to get to the hospital? Well, uh, I actually consulted um, my doctor about, you know, what to do. Um, and they had told me that I needed to get a blood pressure monitor. And I did. And also um, one of those, I guess, a finger. The um, yeah, the thing, it measures your blood oxygen um, level. And so I also got one of those and they basically had told me like, you're going to have to take your own vitals, um, regularly at home. Um, because our emergency rooms and our ICUs are filling up. And if you're not basically dying for lack of a better way to put it, they were much nicer about it, but you need to stay at home you know, and write it out. So I did. And they gave and you that, letters, I suppose, to call or to come in if, or get someone to bring you in or call 911 if you develop certain levels of fever or oxygen. Yes, so um, they had told me um, that if my oxygen level were to drop below a 95%, then I would need to come in, you know, um, I would, probably just have to call, you know, an ambulance to come and pick me up because I would not want my family to come and get me and take me, you know, and, um, and be exposed or anything like that. But luckily my oxygen level the whole time did not drop below like a 98. Um, which I mean, for me, that was actually kind of low because I'm usually around a 100. Um, but, um, that I, that, I guess that's probably maybe could have just been the COVID or being inactive, you know, for a couple of weeks. Um, but I'm a runner and I exercise regularly. Um, I usually run about four miles, three days a week. Um, and on the days that I don't run, I am doing, you know, yoga or some sort of interval weight training. Um, I do something seven days a week. I anticipate that some of our listeners are wondering whether you have full hypopituitarism, and in fact, you don't, and you don't take steroids because your pituitary adrenal function is normal, but some of our patients actually have panhypopituitarism and would require an increase in their dexamethasone or other steroid dosage if they were sick like this, and I just wanted to clear that up because I'm sure people who are listening are wondering about that. Let's go back to that party. So how many people do you think attended that night? I would say all in all, probably about 20. Um, whenever I was there, I would say it was to half capacity. So maybe 10. 
10 people. Uh, and overall, how many people became ill that you're aware of and what were, uh, how soon after the party uh, did, they, did they become stricken with COVID-19? So, like I said, within two days of the party, I was having symptoms. Um, and then I would say it was about four days after the party, I got tested. So um, out of 20, there was about 14 that got, that came down positive with it. So <laughs> that's, that's a lot. Um, and and just to remind everyone, this is a party where most people were wearing masks. Yes. Just yes. Not the social distancing. Yes, from whenever I was there. So I just don't know, um, you know, what if people were wearing masks before I got there, or you know, um, I or I know they were whenever I got there. So um, my the host and I, like we have talked about it. We personally we believe that like somebody there was a super spreader. <laughs> But, you know, we're not 100% sure. But so um, we believe that, like, it had to have been somebody that was there the whole time because there are other people that got infected that I was not, in, that I did not encounter. So obviously it couldn't have been somebody that I, I did not have any sort of you know, contact with or it would have been less likely for me to have gotten infected so about 14 of 20 people. So mm -hmm. that's 14 uh, out of 20. Yeah, that's yeah. that's 70% of people at the party. Uh, that, yes. Really yes. With COVID-19 and all about the same time course after the party, three to four days. So. Oh yeah. So um what had happened is when I came positive with it, I actually called the homeowner and I had asked her to put a chat together. Um on Facebook Messenger for the party. Um, so I could let the guests know that I was positive. Um, That's and, very thoughtful of you to do that. <laughs> and by the end of the day, um, there were, I believe, four more people that had come down positive. So um, at least four more people were like, well, actually, I'm not feeling well either. And they went and got a test. And there were four more people that came positive. And then by the end of the next day, there was at least about three more people that were positive. And then it just really just snowballed from there. And um, it was, I mean, it, it almost became like they changed the chat name to the Halloween COVID party. Um, because it was so, it was just ridiculous, like how many people ended up being COVID positive with, from that one event, you know. Um, I have never encountered a case of the flu where you can literally catch it by just, you know, being in the same room with people and also that like 14 out of 20 people can catch the flu at one event. Like the level of contagiousness of this virus is beyond anything that I have ever seen. Um, it's almost just unbelievable. Um, so, I mean, people really need to 
take it seriously um, and they need to listen to science. Um, like I have shared with you, I was basically in complete isolation from March until October 31st, where I went to one event and made one mistake. And that one mistake basically cost me and I got COVID at one event. And that is like all it took for me. Um, so I just, you know, I try to emphasize that to so many people. I try to emphasize that to people in, you know, their 20s um, that are exposing themselves and then spreading it not only to like, you know, their friends, but they're also spreading it to like, you know, their elderly family members and stuff. I try to emphasize that to my own friends that are, you know, in their thirties and they're, you know, not taking it as seriously as well. Um, but really just to everybody, they need to understand um, that yes, I understand that you cannot see this virus, <laughs> um, which I hear that all the time. Like don't fear something you can't see. And I'm like, well, that's the worst kind. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can't exactly. see it right. really. Um, but you don't understand how contagious this virus is. So, you know, yeah. you're, 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 a, you're a fortunate one. If, if you look at the, the data, I guess it's over 250,000 Americans have died and probably over a million people worldwide. And so many people have been in the hospital and are in the hospital now. Uh, and uh, you were able to, to quarantine at home and have nearly fully recovered. Uh, so that's really great news. It may have something to do with the fact that you probably had a low viral load. Uh, some people are thinking the severe cases are either people who had a high viral load or people whose immune systems developed sort of a cytokine storm and they died of that. Uh, but clearly wearing your mask, uh, even though you caught COVID-19, it may have saved your life. It may have limited mm -hmm. the degree or the severity of your illness. So I think it's important for people to keep in mind that uh, not only do they need the social distance, but also wear your mask and stay away from multi-household gatherings uh, like, you know, Halloween parties. Um, now the Christmas party uh, yeah. is coming up. We are already seeing this big surge from Thanksgiving. And I think people need to recognize that their loved ones are still there for them, even if they don't visit uh, and celebrate the holiday traditions together, whatever that holiday tradition might be. Absolutely, absolutely. Now I'll speak to another patient who contacted me last week and said that he was having flu-like symptoms and I suggested he get tested for COVID and he turned out to be positive. Uh, he's quarantining at home and doing reasonably well with temperatures of about 100 and a half to 101. Uh, and he has a an oximeter at home as well. And I asked him, I said, how do you think you got this? And the only thing he can think of is that he was having a conversation outside with a neighbor, no masks, eight feet apart. It's the only thing he's done that he thinks that, that was his risk factor. And when he tested positive, he contacted the neighbor and found that the neighbor's entire household has COVID-19. Uh, and probably the neighbor was asymptomatic. Uh, and that's how he was infected, but asymptomatic at the time became symptomatic later. 
that's how he probably got COVID-19. Um, and uh, it's just something that I think can catch you when your guard is just slightly down uh, and we need to keep our guard up uh, moving forward. And that's one of the ways we'll beat this thing, especially now that the vaccine's out. I want to caution those who are listening not to, to be too complacent after the vaccine, because I think it doesn't work at hundred percent of the time. And it's believed that it might somehow regulate the severity of your illness and not prevent it altogether. So you might still catch COVID. You may still be able to spread that to people who are not vaccinated. So as we move forward into this phase of vaccines hitting the, the uh, streets, so to speak, I think we still need to be vigilant and avoid large gatherings and avoid uh, travel without consideration for the possibility of infection and also to wear our masks and sanitize because there's still going to be that risk of transmission and the risk of catching it yourself if you're not just simply acting as a super spreader. Jorge, would you like to say anything at this time or just chime in with deleting that? I am not quite back to normal yet, um, but it is absolutely improving. I definitely felt an improvement this week. Um, and I believe I am in week five. Um, it's hard to keep up with them um, these days, but I believe I'm in week five um, and I have seen an improvement this week. So I started working out uh, again, this week, um, just at half capacity to where I was before I got sick. Um, but I do get tired um, more easily um, in the evenings. So, you know, normally when I would go to bed at, say, you know, 10 o'clock, I am ready to go to bed at 8 o'clock. Um, kind of like an old lady, but, <laughs> but um, yes, I definitely um, have felt more fatigued. Um, and when I say fatigued, it's more just my body feels, you know, heavy. Um, and my mind, you know, almost feels just like it's ready to just like, you know, shut down. I can't, you know, read another paper, grade another paper, you know. Um, and so I definitely think that it's affected me, you know, that way, but I'm feeling better and better every single day. Um, yeah. So Kimlin, do you have any final thoughts sort of based on what you've said and we've said and the things we've uh, mentioned just, um, any sound bites more? You've, you've done extremely well. You've said some very important things and I think you're gonna make a tremendous difference sharing this story. Uh, is there anything you want to add that maybe we didn't cover? Um, I mean, my main thing for being here is just to really you know, um, emphasize that everybody should take this seriously.
Do you feel confident that no one has become infected as a result of you having been infected? Have you have you quarantined successfully and and uh, done your job as a member of society to uh, help stem the transmission of this illness? Yes, I am 100% confident that nobody got sick um, due to me being irresponsible. You had mentioned that your brother had uh, potentially exposure to COVID-19, so I presume he was infected? Um, yeah, so um, he did not get it from me. He got it uh, basically the same time I got it from somewhere else. Um, it was really picking up um, in my area, the city of Tulsa um, slash the suburb of Broken Arrow, which is where I live. Um, and so, yes, he got it uh, the same, pretty much the same week as I did. Um, and his girlfriend also got it. And the strange thing about that is he went and got a rapid test and tested negative for it. Um, and then he did the three-day test and tested positive for it. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And I do believe that his girlfriend got the rapid test and she also had tested negative for it. But we're pretty sure since they lived together that she had it um, as well um, because she got very sick. Um, they both had different symptoms. Um, he has asthma. So... He had to get an inhaler. He had gone to the doctor and he got an inhaler. Um, and it did go more to his like respiratory um, issues, but he's also very fit and works out. Both of them are. Um, and she got the, um, you know, nausea and vomiting, um, you know, flu-like symptoms. So I guess when you get it, it just attacks people in different ways, I guess it will just find your weakness and just go for it. <laughs> so. Did they have reasonable recoveries? They did. Um, you know, they are in their twenties. Um, and so they only had it about 10 days and then they pretty much bounced back, um, quickly from it. Um, mine lingered on a little longer, um, like I said, a good four weeks. So. Were they able to understand where they might have acquired the infection? Did it seem to make sense when they did the uh, hindsight being 2020 retrospectoscope, so to speak? They still do not know where they got it because they're also very careful. All right. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been very informative and we appreciate it greatly. Thank you. Thank you.